Walking with Jesus, serving with love, and sharing with courage. Welcome to the Pecan Podcast. Hello, friends. It's Pastor Courtney. So good to be with you as we continue chatting about the beautiful biblical book of Philippians. I love Philippians. I love it. I love it. I love it. Um, People go back and forth on whether pastors should have favorite books of scripture, but the fact is almost all of us do. I love Philippians. I would happily spend my entire life in the gospel of John. I love Isaiah. They're just books that sing to us in certain ways. And it's interesting to talk to other pastors and folks in ministry and, and ask them, you know, what are your favorite books of the Bible? It really, it's it's almost a um, an icebreaker question in some ministerial circles, but it really is interesting to hear what people say. Uh, Pastor Jackson loves the epic narratives of the Old Testament. He loves the story of Ruth, the story of Daniel, these big tales of the greatness of God. Pastor Daryl really loves Jeremiah, the the prophet that continues to tell the truth against all odds. I like the lyricism and the metaphors of John. John, to me, seems to have a poetic soul. I also have been loving the Psalms lately, in part because they don't always make sense. And that speaks to me in a world that often seems off its rocker. But today we are in Philippians. We are going to read from Philippians chapter 2. And I want to give a little bit of backstory before we delve into it, because Philippians chapter 2 is known in in pastoral circles as the Christ hymn. And the reason for that is that scholars believe this was one of the earliest hymns of the church in the New Testament and one of the earliest expositions, descriptions of the theology of who Jesus is and why he came. So scholars are split on whether this hymn was one that Paul was quoting that most people would have known. It was something they were all singing already or whether Paul wrote it himself. And either way, either way, it has so much to teach us. The original Greek language comes to us without any punctuation marks. So we can't always tell if something is a quote We have to derive from context whether something is a question or a statement. It's all a little tricky. And luckily, luckily we have wonderful linguistic scholars who are able to parse these things. Linguistics is a fascinating field. Um, But whether or not it was a hymn that Paul is quoting or a hymn that Paul is writing, there are depths to be mined. So let me read this for us. This is Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 5 from the New International Translation. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place 
and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Again, that's Philippians 2, verses 5 through 11, the Christ hymn. Can you picture, can you imagine the early church singing this? They're in Philippi. It's on the northern edge of Greece. Think about the climate. Think about the people. Think about the food. Think about the breeze. Think about the people gathering to worship Jesus. Jesus, who was new on the scene. We don't have hundreds of years of history of who he was. Paul is bringing this theology that is fresh and new. It is just out of the box. Jesus has died only recently. And people are trying to figure out what that means. What does that mean for them in their life? And Paul writes out this hymn about the humility of Christ, that Christ goes down to go up, that he takes on the nature, the personhood of humankind. He becomes a servant. He becomes obedient even unto death. Therefore, God exalts him to the highest place. This idea that you have to go down to go up. Daryl and I were married January 6th, 2007 in the northern woods of Wisconsin. And Kevin Miller, who is an Anglican priest, preached our wedding service. And he told the story of the movie, The Poseidon Adventure. The Poseidon Adventure, where the ship turns upside down. And apparently parts of it were based on a true story where a ship like this turned all the way upside down. And everyone was about to drown. And the only people who were saved were the people who didn't try to get to the top of the ship because the top of the ship was now at the bottom of the sea. The people who survived were the people who went to the bowels of the ship, who climbed down to go up. And he said, that is a picture of what Christ has done for us. And that is the image I want you to keep in mind as you head into this marriage. And I think about that all the time. That what we want is to be on top. What we want is for things to go well. What we want is glorification and exaltation. And in fact, what God gives to us in the person of Jesus is the example of a servant, of a God who died for us. And that the way up is not up. It's not climbing the corporate ladder. It's not bringing ourselves glory. It's not working hard so we can be winners. But in fact, it is in service and in humility, that we are most like Christ, that we are most united to him in his love, in his death, and in his glory. It is such a hard lesson and such a beautiful picture of who Jesus is, and I love that the early church put this into song. Because what we sing about God ends up being what we believe about God. That is how things get into our hearts, into our minds, into our souls, and settle in and follow us around and stick with us. I love when my kids walk out of worship and they still have that beat in their mind. They're still singing what we sang together. And 
Jean Roberson and Jeff Given are both so good at bringing in these wise, theologically sound hymns of the faith and choruses of the faith that teach us about who God is and what God has done for us. We sing Isaiah, we sing Romans, we sing doxologies, things that we find directly from the words of Scripture. And that is one way God works in and through us. That is one way we can chew on the bones, the marrow, the words of God. It's by setting them to music and putting them in song. It works for kids. It works for us. I read somewhere this week that when we're trying to learn something new, a new habit, a new pattern, it usually takes 100 to 200 times of doing that thing before it becomes not rote, but um, like before we have muscle memory and our synapses just flow in that direction, right? We're trying to learn a new piano song or we're trying to learn how to um, care for a particular kind of plant or we're trying to learn, we're young and we're trying to learn how to read or write. But when we do those things, when we teach those things with play, it takes 10 to 20 times. 10 times less when we do it with play. And music is a type of play. Music is a type of play and it's such a tremendous gift. So I love that this this is a hymn, this deeply, richly woven theological passage on who Jesus is and what that means for us comes to us in music. What are you listening to? What do you love to listen to? I found in my own heart, I have a great distaste these days for Christian music that doesn't have deep theological content. If you're telling a trite story, I don't want to listen to it. It doesn't work for me. It doesn't bring me anywhere. It doesn't feed my Christian imagination. And again, I'm so thankful for our worship leaders at PCOM that do such a wise and thoughtful job of not just thinking about the melody and where it fits and what key it's in, but the words and the theology and what we are teaching to our people, what we are teaching to ourselves, what we are teaching to our children. The deep richness of a story well told. So I'd encourage you, if you have the time, if you're interested to spend some time with this Christ hymn, Philippians 2, verses 5 through 11. Maybe you can set it to music. Maybe you want to memorize it. Getting that scripture into our hearts and our souls and our minds and our marrow so that we can chew on it day after day so it becomes part of us. And in doing so, it transforms us, changes us from the inside out. We're going to move to recommendations, and I would love to hear what you are recommending these days. What are you listening to? What are you watching? What are you enjoying? Daryl is very happy that it's college football season again. The kids enjoy watching some of those UCLA games with him. They sit on the couch, and they make popcorn, and it's a good, good family time. What are you recommending? What are you enjoying this fall? I have three recommendations this morning. The first is a restaurant, and I want to put this on your radar, especially if you have gluten-free eaters in your house. Maybe you are one, maybe you know one. I'm always so excited when I discover a restaurant that is safe for me. I'm a gluten-free eater out of necessity, not out of desire. Um, I'm very, very, very gluten-sensitive, so we're always on the lookout. 
There's a restaurant in Irvine. It's right off Campus Drive. It's called Asian Box. It's a chain. There's one up in San Francisco. There's one up in L.A. It's up in Irvine. It's called Asian Box. It is Asian street food done really well, and it is 100% gluten-free. They have banh mi sandwiches on these beautiful baguettes. They have cookies. They have rice and noodle dishes. It is one of my favorite places in the world, Um, and it's pretty reasonable as well. They do curries, all sorts of things. They do catering. Highly, highly recommend Asian Box. It is where uh, Daryl took me for my birthday dinner, and we brought the kids, and it was lovely. Pickled veggies. Oh, my gosh. It's so good. So if you're a gluten-free eater or you know one, wanted to put Asian Box on your radar. Secondly, two books that I've been enjoying. The first is one for kids that's actually great for adults as well. It's called The New City Catechism. And a catechism is a way of memorizing the ins and outs of our faith. And catechism is typically question and answer format. So it asks questions like, what is sin? And then there's the answer. Sin is rejecting or ignoring God in the world he created. Rebelling against God by living without reference to him, not being or doing what he requires in his law, resulting in our death and the disintegration of all creation. That's a heavy one. I'm just flipping through the book at random right now. There's also a whole section on grace and prayer and all sorts of things. What are the sacraments? But this is a great tool with kids because you ask the question and together you memorize the answer. This, this, the form that I'm reading right now is um, for older kids. But there's also one for tiny kids that, you know, what is sin? Sin is, and then the answer is simplified. So tinier kids can learn it. We are going to be working through the New City Catechism in our Sunday school program, in our children's ministries. And we also um, are considering how to use it in adult worship as well, because these questions and answers are so good for learning the faith and for knitting it into our hearts and for parsing some of the points of theology in really easy um easy to digest sizes, right? So we could talk about what sin is for a thousand years, or we could memorize this short question that gives us a starting place for deeper conversations. So highly recommend the New City Catechism. It is from Crossway, and we have some copies in the office if you're interested in giving it a look. I know they post many of them online as well, so you don't even have to buy it. You can go there for the resource. And finally, Daryl and I have both been really enjoying um, a book of essays by Wendell Berry called The Art of the Commonplace. It is about local life, local faith, what it is to be tethered to the land and the people where God has placed you. I've been thinking a lot lately about the discontent that happens when we try to live and be everywhere at once. When we continue to look not just on the other side of the fence, but on the other side of the country, on the other side of town, rather than digging a deep well where God has planted us so that there's living water to go around. We read The Wisdom of Stability as the Awake Committee last year, and I had never thought of stability as a spiritual discipline. But even in my own life and ministry, I've been here seven, almost seven and a half years now at PCOM. And it takes almost five years to really settle into a place and begin to know the people and begin to gain trust because we are such a transient, transitory society. We are here and then we're there. We're tethered to no one. Our furniture is from Ikea so we can take it apart and move again. And I've been thinking a lot about what it means to 
practice the spiritual discipline of stability. So Wendell Berry writes all about this. It's a beautiful, thoughtful collection of essays. You can read one at a time or they can stand alone. But I highly recommend Wendell Berry's writing The Art of the Commonplace. What are you reading? What are you listening to? What are you watching? What games are you playing? What music is inspiring you? I would love to hear about it. Write or call or text and let me know. It has been good being with you, friends. Next week, Jeff Given brings us some more goodness on the pod. I cannot wait. I always look forward forward to his episodes. He has been such, um, such a faithful guide on this podcast. I look forward to being with all of you again soon. And until then, take care, be well, and God bless. And before I go, Felicity wants to say hi. Can you say hi? Hi. You say hi, everybody. Hi, everybody. Love you. Love you. Bye. Bye. Now, what did you want? I want a different snack. Different snack. Deal. Mm-hmm.